0: Everyone. I'm Rod Zeeb. I am the founder and CEO of the Heritage Institute, and welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast guest is my son, Ryan Zeeb, who also was involved in the Heritage Institute. He was actually president of the Heritage Institute from what, 2004 until 2011? Yep. Like that. Okay. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Good to be here. So, today, what we're going to talk about is collaborating for success. And it basically, you know, the, the basic premise is we can't do it all nobody can do it all. And so the way you provide the services that you don't do is through effective collaboration. Lots of people talk about collaboration. Very few people have a model for making it work successfully and know how to really do it. So maybe the best way to start, Ryan, is just with, you know, you did this um, when you and and Jim built your multifamily office. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, why the the people that the clients at these most people want, the high net worth and ultra high net worth clients don't work with them and how it worked for you to, to build that model.
1: Sure. Well, I think
0: there's a couple of pieces
1: to collaboration that need to be answered before you go and meet with anybody. And the first one is, is what is the need that you're going to fulfill for clients? Because there's no reason to go out and try and build a relationship if you don't have demand. So, Understanding what the clients are actually looking for, I think, is step one. And being able to build an effective collaboration happens when there's actual revenue to be had there. And I tell people all the time that revenue in a collaborative relationship is like oxygen. Without it, you're going to die. And it's not going to go anywhere. So, you know, the first question or the first thing that I would say to anybody who's thinking about collaborating is, clearly identify the business opportunity and make sure that it's something that's a business opportunity for all parties involved, you, the client and the other collaborator um, or number of collaborators, depending on how many services you're gonna be putting together. Um, Otherwise, what my experience was is that I tried to do a, a multifamily office just to build one and we failed because trying to put together a couple of different firms is a lot of work. Um, trying to build a model when you've got systems and processes and those types of things uh, put together without a real need is just something where we spun our wheels, spun our wheels, spun our wheels. And when I got a multifamily office to really work was when we sat down and we got together with um, a handful of clients and we asked them, What is the advisory experience that would be ideal for you? What is it that you're looking for from your advisors? And is there anything that we could do to make this better for you? And the answers that we got were surprisingly similar. And to start this, what we did is we met with uh, seven of what we would call our favorite clients, not our biggest clients, but our favorite clients. And... um, You know, I get the question all the time as far as um, how big were these? Were these all $50, $100 million cases? The answer is no. There were several in the group that had million-dollar accounts with us, so they were not unattainable um, clients. And we did have a couple of ultra-high net worth clients in it as well. But the goal was to build a model that could work for most of the clients that were coming in. And the answers that we got were things like, We need to simplify our lives and one of the ways that we identified that we could do that for them was to simplify simplify their advisory experience and what i mean by that is is that they would talk about how much time and energy it was for them to go from their financial advisor and go through their portfolio and do their financial planning and uh you know some of their estate planning etc do all the discovery get all the documents together and um get that kind of wrapped up and then it comes time to do your taxes and you go and you do all the discovery with your CPA and you bring together all the documents again. Maybe you've kept them organized. Maybe you haven't kept them organized. So it's, you know, double the work. And then, uh, you know, as you move farther along with the client, the next thing becomes estate planning. And when it comes to doing estate planning, what do you do? You grab all the documents. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so (laughs) they talked about, you know, the ones that we'd already done that work with, they said, you know, that was laborious. Uh, And time is money for these people. And so they said, if you could make that easier for us, that would be something that we would pay for. And so, you know, what we started to do was look at what is it that we can reasonably accomplish for our clients that we can get paid for that makes their lives better. And so that's where the uh, concept of what we now call the lead advisor came from, which is basically... Um, being that point person, some people talk about this as being the, you know, the planning quarterback or, you know, there's other ways that people describe this, but, um, really to be the, per- the person who is going to organize the entire engagement, work with the other professionals, make sure that everything stays on track, make sure people are working together the way that they should make sure everybody's working with the same fact pattern, because that is another thing that, um, would tend to get people off base or a little bit as gave a little bit of a different story or they forgot something with one of the professionals and then they would get a recommendation that was different and throw them, you know, for a little bit of a loop there. So making sure everybody's working for those. And we knew that we had people, part of the reason that we had confidence to be able to move forward with this is because we did interview actual clients. And I think that's a big key because If you're going to have confidence in meeting with another professional to say, I believe this is a real business opportunity, you have a lot more conviction when you know somebody that you want to work with has already said that they will pay for it. And I think that's a a really big differentiator rather than saying, I think this is something that people will like. And I think it's something that um, we could get paid for. So I'm going to try and build a relationship based on that thought. I think that's a an error that we often make, and I made, uh, when I first tried to go about building a multifamily office. So what we ended up doing was what people would call a virtual family office, multifamily office, which was we didn't merge ourselves with a CPA firm. We didn't hire in and bring in a full-time uh, estate planning attorney. We didn't hire a bookkeeper who was going to do bill pay, you know, all those types of things. I was licensed to do um, the insurances and investment management. So was my partner. Uh, so we had kind of the major boxes checked. Um, so what we did was we went out and said, okay, where are the places where this takes time for people and it's complicated? And it was the kind of the big three financial advisor. CPA, estate planning attorney relationship there where they were duplicating the work and they were duplicating the time. And so we asked ourselves, how could we do this most effectively for the client? And the model that came out of that was that lead advisor model where there was one set of input data. So what we did was we went to the, to the CPA and the attorney and, and we asked them, what do you need in order to do your best work? Because we wanted their best work. And they shared with us their intake documents and when a client would be best teed up for them. And so what we did was we put the work in to deliver that to them. So they got a teed up, ready to go client that they could hit it out of the ballpark with. We got a client who was able to get a professional who was really good at what they did, ready to go to do their best work for them. And that was a win-win. And we
0: charged for doing that. And for the client, that means they only had to say it once. Right. I mean that's the big thing, and they they yeah. only have to do it once, and everybody's looking at the same data. I mean everybody's looking at the same thing,
1: right? And so we did things like in our agreement, we uh, with the client we had permission to share data with other professionals on the team that we had an NDA with, so it was legal. It was it, we were protected, they were protected. You know it's not like we were flashing this out to the public, but we had working relationships with these professionals, so for instance, we would get our discovery interviews transcribed and we would give those to the attorney and the CPA. So not only were they getting the same documents, they were actually getting a copy of the transcript of of the discovery. So we really were working off of the same thing. Um, And what came out of that was we were able to hire a large CPA firm, a 65 partner CPA firm in Southern California that could do taxes anywhere in the US and Canada. Um, so we got a really high quality cPA firm to be able to to do the taxes for the clients, but it it all flowed through us um and then we worked with a couple of attorneys uh we have better chances with that with uh solo or dual practitioners we we just knew more of those and they were a lot more reasonable and and higher skill set than the big law firm is what we found and what we were able to do was was charge for and deliver um, plan review and plan design. And then drafting still needed to go through the attorney themselves because that's when you get into privilege and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we had that as sort of a dual engagement. And then for the ultra high net worth clients, we did go to the standpoint of uh, finding and hiring a bookkeeping and bill pay firm. Again, that all went through us. Um, we hired that firm on behalf of of our clients to do that so we were able to cover all the major bases there but they really had me and my partner as their primary advisor who facilitated everything with all those other professionals for them and so we achieved that desired outcome of simplifying their lives because they went from managing five relationships to managing one and they were also really grateful because They felt like they were for the first time getting really cohesive advice because we were working together and we were working off the same fact pattern and the same documents um, in such a way that there was never competing advice. They
0: felt really good about what they were getting. And they knew that it had been vetted by the other two or three or however many other professionals were in there. It's like, this isn't one head, this is all of them agreeing.
1: Right. You know, it, it was a team. Saying this is what is best for you, and um, once we were able to deliver that, we we first delivered it to the people that were in our focus group because they were the ones that said that they wanted it. So we came back and said, "Look, we built what you asked for. Would you like to to buy this?" And they all said yes. They they all bought, um, and they didn't even know um, that what the other people were saying in the focus group. A couple of them knew each other just because they were friends but um they were all separate relationships but they all talked about wanting the same things
0: right yeah and it, and it's interesting as you talk about collaborating with the professionals you have to have the right professionals too you have to have the professionals that uh, have the same way you deal with clients and they have the expertise to be able to do it right um I'm reminded of one thing that um, John Severson said one time about one of his clients that had five or six advisors, and the way he approached it was, okay, if we get all six of your advisors together in a room, who is the person who is least qualified to you know, to run those that that group, to coordinate that group? To lead the team. To right. lead the team, yeah. And the client went, me. And he goes, okay, and who's doing it? Me. Okay. So would you pay for me to do it? Yes. I mean, so it is something that they're looking for, but it's not something they even know is possible a lot of times.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think
0: I've had a lot of people
1: ask me about building these type of relationships and how much time it takes to not only trust another professional to really go in on a cohesive agreement, um, but then to actually build the systems and processes to the level that we did. And the thing that I I share with people is, you know, first of all, collaborate with a purpose. Know that there's a real business opportunity and a real value to the client. Second, approach collaborating with other professionals similarly that as you do with dating. So are you building a, a one and done kind of a relationship with somebody or is it a relationship that you want to see last? And those are different. And sometimes you don't know on the first date, which one it's going to be. <laughs> um, but if it's going to be a, a longer term relationship, it takes that type of effort to be able to court and build um, something that is of real value to the clients that you, that you're going to be working with. And so, you need to be ready and willing to put that time in in order to have a relationship that really works. And if it if it's not that, that's okay. It's good to identify that early, that this is going to be somebody that's going to be a one and done. We're going to work on this client, but it's not, for instance, you know, an, an attorney that I want to use over and over and over again um, for whatever reason
0: that may be. And not all of them fit everybody. I mean, like attorneys, there's sometimes you got... You know, some some attorneys that, you know, will work really well with some of your clients, but not with others. So it's not a one size fits all.
1: Yeah. You know, and attorneys are like doctors. They have different specialties. And so um, what we ended up doing was we had one attorney that did really good diagnostic work. They did. They did a good job with here's what you have. And here's how, here's where the gaps are to the desired outcomes that you said that you wanted in your discovery interview with Ryan. And so we were able to, to use that and and charge for just that diagnostic review over and over again. And it was a fee that we could quote as part of what we did because uh, we hired them to be on our team. Um, And. Then after that, depending on what they needed, we would sometimes go to other attorneys who specialized in X, Y, or Z to actually deliver and draft what was necessary. Um, So there's consistency, and then there's also specialty work that you know know that you're going to need over time. And, you know, the other thing I would say, particularly to the advisors out there, is whenever you think about going about this, if you're thinking about trying to build what a lot of people call a family office and family office is a term that's not very well defined in the industry. It means different things to different people. But if it's something that you're really wanting to build, it it is absolutely worth finding and paying for really good compliance advice. Uh, I actually went through five um, potential compliance attorneys until I got to the one that we ended up using. And it was because, I kept getting, well, you can't do that. And I kept saying, I'm not asking to do anything illegal. I'm just trying to do the best job for my client. And it wasn't until I got to the one that, that said, wait a minute, can you explain that to me again? What are you wanting to do? And when I walked her through it, she finally said, well, you can't do it the way that you're describing, but you can do it this way. And light bulbs went off. She thought like a business owner, saw somebody who was trying to really create a niche and we were able to do it. And we were able to pass a couple of SEC audits doing things the way that we w- were doing it. So it worked really well, but I also saw the fact that you're either gonna get notes from compliance departments or you're gonna get yourself in trouble if you do, or if you don't have the agreements in place, especially when you're sharing private information and fees, um, You know that just needs to be I's dotted and T's crossed to be able to do that right.
0: Talk a little bit about um, you know how you how you build that relationship with the collaborating other collaborating professionals because a lot of people come in and say oh I'm going to bring you this client so I should get a discount, right? Right. <laughs> um, well, I
1: learned a long time ago from a coach that now passed on, but was one of the best coaches I had in my career, Mark Shear, that you don't ask for an introduction until you've delivered value. And that's whether you're working with a client or whether you're working with another professional in my experience. So uh, I didn't go out and meet with a professional and say, Hey, I think this will work out really great. Do you have four clients that we can try it on? Right. (laughs) You know, nobody wants to hear that. That's what um, we talk about in some of the workshops as being a parasite type of a relationship. You're going to live off of somebody else's book of business Nobody wants that. You don't want somebody to come to you and ask for all your client information and revenue, and nobody wants you to come in and do that to them. So to start with, uh, what we did was we, like I said, we engaged the the advisors in our focus group or the clients that were in our focus group, and we brought the other professionals in to work with them. So we were bringing the clients and the revenue to start with. Uh, So in some ways we had all the risk, but we saw... The reward, And then those people obviously then made introductions to other clients, which was really worthwhile. And then once the attorney and the CPA in, in particular got experience with what we were doing, then they started making introductions back to us and saying, hey, I've got a client that I've done estate planning with, or I've got a tax client who's a business owner. And if you could do what you did with so-and-so, I think that would be really valuable to them. And so the introductions came secondary after we had delivered value um and they had experienced value on both sides of it whether it was the professionals or the clients so um, you know we had to do the work on the front end
0: well and and you also want to be those professionals a client you want to be their a client
1: yes yeah that, you know that's the other thing like i said the question that we asked the other professionals was what do you need to enable to do your best work right and you know, typically that was either a, a, a size or a type of client, you know, X, you know, net worth, or I will work with business owners or I work with, you know, X, Y, or Z. And this is the time and the engagement that I can really hit it out of the park. And so, no, we didn't ask any of them to do a discounted fee. In fact, we said, we want you to charge your top rate because we want your top work because we knew that if we were going to have happy clients and if we were going to get introductions, that was only going to be if people got a really great result. So um, we never asked for discounted fees. The only place where some of the fees uh, ended up being less was we were able to deliver clients who already had a large amount of the discovery done because we had done it for them. And in the case of the attorney and the CPA, we took their intake documents and built it into our discovery so that we we're giving them almost a complete, you know, data set. They they obviously still did a little bit, but we we did the heavy lift on that. So they did charge or take off the fees that they would typically charge for discovery work, but that was only because we were doing it for them. Um, but the rest of the time we did, we asked them to charge their top rate and we got their best work, which is what ended up being the win-win.
0: And you know, a lot of people ask, you know, when we're working with um, particular financial advisors. You know, I'd like to have more high net worth, ultra high net worth clients. Why aren't I getting them? Yeah. You know, how do I get them? How do you respond to that? Well, it's, it can be an
1: uncomfortable conversation because typically that advisor is thinking that they can deliver what that high net worth client is looking for, you know, in their advisory relationship. And the hard truth that, and I saw this more in my role at Heritage Institute, consulting with hundreds of firms, large and small, as far as who was really working with high net worth clients and who was a wannabe high net worth advisor. And the truth of the situation is, is that, actually, I'll start with there's a myth that, you know, that. 10 million, 20 million, $50, 50 million client, whatever it may be, that's the next tier client. Isn't working with another advisor, and if I could if they could just meet me, I would engage them right away. And the truth of that is is that the majority of those clients do have advisors. There are some right. people out there that don't have any advisors, but the majority of them are already working with someone. And whether or not they're happy in that relationship is is an opportunity because it, we know that there's a lot of underserved clients out there, but um, they're working with that other advisor for a reason. There's at least a belief system that they can deliver what that client wants. And they're not working with you because you either don't have the deliverables that they're looking for, or you don't have access. It comes to down to one of those two things or both. So the first thing that I tell people is in order to gain access, you have to deliver. And be able to deliver what it is that they want, which is why, in our case, we did the focus group to make sure that what we delivered was what they really wanted. Right. Um, but without having the full skill set, whether that is the things that you can deliver or of a real team uh, relationship to them, you're never going to get access. And when you do have the ability to deliver, then the introductions tend to come more organically than from a traditional marketing campaign you know you you don't pick up typically a 20 million dollar client from you know a dinner seminar that's not what they're going to you're getting you know that next level client is an introduction from an existing client that you've done a really great job for or as i said we did get introductions from attorneys and cpas because we did such a good job for their clients and that became the introduction um, engine for us. Um, But it was only after we were doing the work already.
0: And one of the other myths we hear a lot is, well, those clients, they want to work with the big banks and the big institutions. Yeah. And that's not been my experience. I mean, for some, yes. But I mean, that's, it's not like that's just a gimme.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there's our clients that are there, Again, there's the perception there that if you're a high net worth person, you work with Merrill Lynch or you work with UBS or you work with Bank of New York Mellon, Wellington Trust or whoever that may be, because they're working in that high net worth space. So they must be the advisors that that they should be working with. Um, But I'm yet to meet a client that isn't open to working with somebody who's already working in their uh, net worth sphere or their account sphere or their complexity sphere. If you can walk in and again, this is where I think working with actual client needs and knowing that you're delivering what the client needs because afterwards, once you've delivered in our case, we delivered simplicity where we said, did this work well for you for us to coordinate all of this on your behalf? And are you happy with the tax return work that you got? And are you happy with the estate planning and the trust work that you got? And we got resounding yeses because we built it in a way that fulfilled their needs. We had a lot of confidence walking in to a new client and saying, here's what we can deliver because we delivered it. Right. And we we knew we delivered it because the clients had told us so. And I think that's a really critical step that a lot of people overlook is that they don't ask the clients once they're done, did we did we succeed? Have we, have we accomplished what we set out to accomplish? You normally it's kind of a big exhale. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> we we finally checked everything off the list and we're in a maintenance mode, but we don't get them to really, uh, settle on and quantify the value that it was to them. You know, did we save discovery meetings and did we save you having to organize your documents over and over and mm-hmm. over again? And, are we sure that the tax advice that we've given is now coordinated and accurate between the different disciplines and having those yeses again, gives you the level of confidence to walk into the same or the next level up tier to know you've got the competency to
0: really do it. One of the things that, you know, I've talked about and you've obviously experienced too, is those clients trust each other way more than they trust any of their professionals. And yeah. so when they get somebody that they like, it's, it's, you know, human nature, you find a great restaurant, you tell all your friends, the same thing here is, uh, you know, in my practice, I went from clients that were half a million dollars to billionaires from introductions going up. Right. And it, it that's just kind of a natural thing that happens, isn't
1: it? Yeah. I mean, I, I know I rarely got an introduction down the sphere, right. uh, you know, it was typically the same or above. Uh, and I think it is because both the other professionals and the clients, when they think about what you delivered for them, which if you've done a a good job in this scenario is typically complex work. And and by the way, part of what we delivered, I should have said this, I think it was probably a given in my head since this is a heritage Institute, um, podcast, but one of the deliverables was heritage design you know it's the multi-generational planning we did that with the majority of the families that we engaged so that was each leg of the stool so to speak was covered Um, but when those clients and those professionals have experienced success they they typically think of the next most complicated person or situation that they know of
0: right
1: you know who who else would this benefit and they think oh you know john and jane would really benefit from this because they're really complex i'm not as complex as them right <laughs> and so that's who they tend to introduce and um, it it just happens that way um when you, you do the work the right way and then when you ask have we accomplished this at the end and, and do you know of anybody else that would benefit from this uh those two questions are really what unlocks that next level of client um uh, introduction
0: and it's that easy i mean that's a, people have this concept about oh what am i going to say how am i going to ask that it's like are you are you thrilled with what you got and if so anybody else that you know that would be thrilled with this kind of work right. that's it i mean it's not like <laughs> and the second
1: question is a hard one to get out
0: mm-hmm.
1: um mm-hmm. i think it's probably easier with professionals than it is with clients for some reason to be able to say you know do you have any clients that you that would benefit from this now that they worked with a couple of years uh, just because i think that that mentality happens a little bit more between professionals but clients are happy to make other introductions when they realize that that's what you're looking for because they uh, would absolutely want to benefit you because of what you've done for
0: them, and they want to benefit their friends. I mean, I remember uh, you know one of my clients when when we were talking about it, he and he was introducing me again up, and and I asked him later you know why did you you know where'd that come from basically and his answer was i knew this was something that he needed as much as i did and he said you know we all none of us have anything that we can give to the other person i mean you got christmas what are you going to give you know these people but if we can give them we can give our friends the things that were beneficial to us that's all we have for each other yeah so yeah and they they want to do something that matters right with people they care about, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess the next question. We're getting close to the top of the time here. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, because I know you know somebody's going to call. Somebody's going to say, "Okay, how do I get more information?" So how do they get a hold of you?
1: Um, well, certainly they can get my information through the Heritage Institute, um, and I no- I now work in a couple of capacities. I, I do coach advisors on how to uh, benefit their, cl- their practices and how to move to the next level of client. That's actually what the course is called, Next Level Clients. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then there is just the actual consulting work, which can be, um, you know, her- adding heritage design, which is one of the deliverables that, um, that was the other deliverable from, you know, I want to simplify complexity is we want to prepare the next generation. Those were the two hooks that got us in the door with pretty much everybody. Uh, It wasn't investment management. It wasn't estate planning. It wasn't, we can do your taxes better than somebody else can do your taxes. Uh, It was those, those two things. Um, So, you know, I work with other professionals just as a consultant
0: bringing the heritage design work, just like you do and and others at the heritage Institute. All right. Well, thank you for this. And again, this podcast will be out there. And if you have any questions, you can get, contact Ryan. What email should they use for you? Ryan, R-Y-A-N at geneseygroup.com. And Genesis is G-E-N-A-C-Y group.com. Well, thank you very much. And hopefully you got some some value out of this and we'll listen to the rest of the podcast we've got. Thank you. All right. Thank you.